This month's Where Did the Road Go is brought to you by eight amazing people. Greg Ross, Illuminati, Allison Cook, Super Inframan, 36 Dingo, Michael Fritschke, Yvonne Williams, and Doug Malam. Thank you all so very much for helping make this show possible. Transmission start. Welcome to Where Did the Road Go? Join us as we wander off the path and explore lost history, consciousness, the paranormal, unexplained mysteries, alternative thought, and much more. We are present on the web at wheredidtheroadgo.com. Now here is your host, Soraya. Welcome to this edition of Where Did the Road Go? Tonight, we are going to be talking about the Seth material and Jane Roberts. And I have with me, Mr. Christopher Ernst. Hey, everybody. Jack Huntington. Hey, guys. And Matt Festa. Hello, my darlings. Now, everyone should know Chris, obviously. Matt, you've been on how many times now? Maybe three? I think this is my third time. Yeah. M- Matt Matt is a fantastic artist whose stuff can be found at Tiamat's Garden on Instagram and Facebook. And he did the cover art for the autobiography I'm working on. That'll be out any year now. Uh, hopefully the beginning of next year. And uh, Jack, you're, you're a Patreon, but we had started talking and I realized you had a pretty good knowledge of the Seth material. And so I was kind of looking for more people who knew about this stuff so we could actually have a full discussion about it. And you seem to be the guy. Well, uh, I'm really into it. Uh, it's, it's kind of still early days for me, but um, uh, if, if enthusiasm's a qualifier, then uh, yeah. <laughs> well, where did you find out about Seth from? It was from your show. Okay. That's what I thought. Yeah. It was uh, an episode uh, probably about uh, two, two and a half years ago, maybe. And you, you had just mentioned it. Uh, I think it was one of those shows, um, that had, uh, uh, Jeff Ritzman on it Oh, and okay. you, you were talking to him about it and yeah. uh, the subject of, um, uh, mediums and, uh, information, medium information came up and, uh, you started talking about the, the set material and, and, um, yeah. how it was, uh, really impressive, really consistent. And, uh, it really, it just piqued my interest. And so I hopped on, uh, YouTube and, um, watched, uh, a little kind of synopsis video and, uh, it, uh, it just, uh, it, like from the, from the get go, it just had the, the ring of truth to it. Yeah. Um, it was just one of those things where it just resonated incredibly strongly with that that sense of uh, 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 authenticity. Yeah, yeah. And Jeff wouldn't even look at it really. He looked at a few uh, a few quotes online. He's like, "No, no, it's just standard channeling stuff." Him and him and Jeremy were yeah. so anti channeling, <laughs> um, and so was I. Honestly, I mean, I bought yeah. Seth Speaks uh, ages ago just because it was like a bucket of used bookstore and i thought well this would be good for a laugh at some point yep. um yeah. and it kind of saved me from like a dark night of the soul situation where i was just severely depressed feeling kind of yeah. lost and i started doing research online early days of the internet on near-death experiences just seeing if any new research had come across like kind of kind of doing a what is, what is the point of all this type of a quest you know 
And yeah. I kept seeing these pages reference the Seth material, and I'm like, why are they only referencing the Seth material? Like these these are otherwise yeah. fairly scientific pages, but the Seth yeah. material specifically keeps coming up. And so I, I dug out the book, which was buried behind a bunch of other books, and I turned to the chapter of what happens when you die and realized that right there, not only did that fit near-death experiences, but he also uh, answered questions like, why don't everyone, doesn't everyone have a near-death experience, even though he wasn't talking yeah. about it? You know, right. he wasn't talking mm -hmm. about NDEs. And then I, my next thing yeah. was, I think, to find out when NDA, when NDEs and stuff became, you know, more commonly known. And that was until later in the 70s. <clears throat> yeah. So from there, I just was like, okay, let me read this book. And then I'm double-checking things going, okay, some of these ideas were in you know like small circles at this point but a lot of this stuff was not and it became a broader yeah. thing later but probably partially because of the seth material yeah chris where did you come across seth so i came across seth in doing research um uh basically on like post theosophy uh like new age spiritualism and um uh channeling and gurus and, and essentially everything that's happened since uh theosophy mainly because of my upbringing um where my parents followed uh Meher Baba this Indian mystic and so there was a lot of like in trying to like sort out that uh, I looked into a lot of other stuff that was concurrent with like different aspects of movements uh, that he and other people are involved in. And so I ended up reading and I, I haven't read all of it. I've read like I read I've read Seth Speaks a couple of times and then there are a couple more that I've read. And honestly, I I, I there's probably because they're like PDFs of them. I and the the, the titles are somewhat similar sometimes yes. i think yeah. i've confused some of them but um yeah, yeah. I, so I, I haven't read everything but you know there I, i've read uh, i'd say like three uh, or four of the books i haven't yeah, out there i haven't read everything i've probably read about six or seven i had a hard time getting a, the uh getting through the way to health or whatever whatever that one's called which is the last one uh, yeah. that she channeled because you i mean she's in the hospital suffering from rheumatoid arthritis that's killing her mm. and she's still channeling Seth, but you get Robert's kind of, you know, like you, you, you could tell how much he's suffering watching her suffer. Yeah. And it just became very hard for me to read through that one. I was just like, uh, especially when he found a yeah. lost session and he put it in there and, and this was after she passed away and he was like, Oh man, mm. you know, I found this and I never, you know, put it in any of the books. Yeah. Um, Matt, what about you? So fairly similar to Jack, but before I get into how I came to Seth, I just think it might be helpful for anyone new to this to just like clarify even what we're talking about. Because like when we say the sure. Seth material, we're referring to like the entire body of right. work. There Not is the right. There is one specific book called the Seth material. That's right. Like, that's a yeah. Good point. Yeah. And that's like one of the first ones that Jane wrote. That's like her interpretations of Seth's teachings right for anyone like new to all of this wanting to go into it where you should start is the book seth speaks which yes. is the as far as i know the one entire book that was like all of just narration from the entity seth just to like clarify that for everyone yep, yep. 
Yeah. yeah te- technically, uh, Jane said Seth wrote these books, and then Jane wrote other books about the Seth material, mm-hmm. as well as a novel. Yeah. So where? So, then, so you found out yeah. about it from where did the road go? Mostly, like it's something that I had been like, you know, just had a vague awareness of floating in the back of my mind for a long time, just from researching various different weird esoterica and whatnot, and then like. Obviously, where did the road go is where I heard about it most frequently. One day I was at a book fair and found a copy of Seth Speaks and read it. And yeah, just I've only read that one and the book, the Seth material. So I've only got the two under my belt, but it's there's definitely a lot in just those two. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> and the thing is, so Seth is not so. So for anyone who doesn't know what Seth is, Seth came about initially through a Ouija board session with Jane Roberts. Where he came, yeah. he started under a different name, and then she started being able to communicate directly with him. Uh, they were not like so many other channelers, uh, people who were trying to make money off of this, other than writing the books. They held free ESP classes where people would come and talk to Seth, and he would give them life advice. Um, so they really—that's right. a really good point. That they were completely transparent about everything. I yeah, that—that's a sense that you get. And Jane flat out said, I don't know what Seth is. I don't know if it's a part of my unconscious mind or something like that, or if it re- if Seth really is who he says he is, which is a non-corporeal uh, being that has been numerous people in uh, our timeline at one time or another. But she was also very upfront about that. There was no, you know, there's no definitiveness on her part about what Seth is or what's happening, just that this is what's happening. And the content is very uh, consistent and stable over very long periods of time. Yeah. Yeah. It it seems like it would be very hard to fake it at that level without massive contradictions. Yeah. Especially with the amount of material generated. And and this wasn't over a really long period of time, though, right? Yes. Because she started... And correct me if I'm wrong, it was like, what, 1970 to, she died in 84, 85, right? right? She started in 63. Yeah, Yeah, in 60, okay, 63, all right. So one of my first things I did after reading the Seth material, I was like, wow, this is really profound. I can't believe I'm reading channeled material and I'm impressed. Um, (laughs) There's a book I have called The Magician's Dictionary that came out of Feral House. And I flipped through there just to see if Seth was mentioned. And Seth is the only channeled entity, I think, mentioned in the book. And it basically just says that Seth is probably the most legitimate channeled entity uh, in history or something like that. Very short little entry. And I was like, huh, okay. And I found recently uh, Problems of Seth's Origin, which is a paper someone wrote about Seth. I expected it to be a little more critical, but it's not even that it wasn't critical. It just... I've been looking for something that debunks mm. Seth, and I have yet right. to be able to find it. See, the dog agrees. Um, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> um, and the only times you can find stuff that's debunking it is either people who are debunkers just dismissing it, saying they yeah. were frauds, or you get like uh, Christian fundamentalists saying, not debunking it, but saying Seth was a <laughs> demon and he killed oh, Jane yeah. and all this other stuff. So yeah, there, there's nothing I came across that uh, I did the exact same thing. Um, like the shortly after reading it, uh, you immediately start to think. Uh, you start to question the validity of it, uh, not because it's uh, uh, it doesn't have the ring of truth about it, but just the the you want to 
get other people's takes on it yeah and um, kind of clear up clear up whether or not you're just um uh, uh kind of um uh, getting high on your own supply there sort of and uh so there's there's not really any can anything you can find out there um similar to the, the paper um where there's actually like a professional takedown of the material or yeah. attempt to take down the material. And uh, it, it ends up not being particularly negative about it at all. No, exactly. So the, um, th- what were you going to say, Matt? I was going to say, I think part of the reason why there isn't a lot just like trying to debunk the Seth material is that just that entire concept of debunking wouldn't even really apply to it because so much of it is just like, various philosophies like if whether you know seth was like an independent entity whether it was a part of jane herself whether it was completely fabricated and just a literary device she was using to write books it like doesn't change the underlying philosophical messages of what's being saying it's like not you can't Mm -hmm. debunk someone's you know, perspective on life. True, true. Yeah. Because unlike yeah. other channel entities, this wasn't making any kind of grandiose predictions or uh, outrageous right. claims or anything like that. Mm-hmm. She opened Seth up to, to to testing too from from different places, and a lot of places they didn't get the results back. Um, I remember her saying that that some numerous times Seth did fairly well, um, but in a lot of cases they would do the test and they would never get the results. Yeah, there was uh, the the ongoing thing they had going on with uh, uh, Doctor uh, George Estabrooks, um, who. May or, may or may not ring a bell. Uh, he was uh, affiliated with um, the CIA's uh, uh, MK Ultra. Oh, I didn't know about that. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. And there was uh, it was a, an ongoing testing of uh, Seth's clairvoyant uh, abilities, and uh, they they just weren't getting any feedback from him. And uh, finally, Jane just called it quits because it took so much time to, to actually uh, play along with that. Um, so I'm, I'm going to read the beginning of this paper here because it gives us some background as well. Um, Jane Roberts channeled the purported discarnate entity Seth from 1963 through 1984. Uh, the purposes of this paper are to discuss the question of whether or not the content of a mediumistic communication can aid in determining the source of that communication, B, address a gap in the literature by presenting an outer history of of the transpossession mediumship of Jane Roberts, and C, examine eight explanations for Seth's origin in light of the published evidence of the case, including fraud, cryptonesia, hypnotic self-suggestion, incipient schizophrenia, and dissociative identity disorder, uh, high creativity, psi-functioning, basic source aspect, and energy personality essence. Either Seth is or is not a production of Jane Roberts' psyche. In other case, we are, in either case, we are led to the possibility that human personality may have a greater reality or greater awareness than is generally supposed. Yeah. So when, like I said, when I started reading through the first chapter, I read was on death, and uh, I had just read this study that had just been done by this heart doctor, who, uh, and I don't think anyone had done this before. He did not believe in the near-death experience, but he said, well, I know how to test this. I'm going to give every single patient I have a questionnaire, the exact same questionnaire, regardless of whether or not they had an experience or not. 
And the it, you know, and one of the questions is, do you think you had an out of body experience? Uh, a lot of it was, you know, what happened, what was happening during uh, the heart surgery and stuff like that. So what he found is the people who had near death experiences could describe in great detail exactly what was going on in the room to a high degree of accuracy. The yeah. people who did not have near death experiences were also encouraged to, you know, make to to tell him what what they think would have been happening, and those people were completely wrong, like they weren't even close in any case. So he was like, okay, that's interesting. He also noticed that some people had near death experiences when they had not, they were not technically dead on the table. They would, they never died. Yeah. And other people died and didn't have near-death experiences. So that was one of the discoveries he made in this in this study. And I was like, well, that's interesting. And then I read the thing, uh, the chapter on death uh, from Seth, yeah. who talks about how people leave their bodies at death at different points. Some people stay around longer. Some people leave before they're even dead. And I went, yep. oh, my God, he just explained it. <laughs> yeah, he explains it pretty well. Yeah. As well as talking about how what you see when you die is is an illusion, basically. You're going to see what you deep down expect to see right. is what you're going to experience. And that is exactly what we see in near-death experiences. Yeah, yeah you'll, you'll have people hallucinate hellish landscapes and more conventional like Christian ideas of uh, uh, heaven and or see Jesus or, you know, what have you. But um, it, according to Seth, it's... Uh, you're you're essentially in a in the the same sort of psychic realm um, that that you go to when you're sleeping when when you're dreaming. Yeah. Uh, yep. So there's an enormous amount of yeah. uh, uh, creativity, even uh, you know the the everything's super responsive to uh, to your imagination and your expectations and beliefs. I mean the the other thing that really did it for me with Seth was. Um, having read Crowley and Crowley talking about lust for result, uh, how you, if you do a magical ritual and then you keep focusing on it, it's less likely to work that your best, your best hope of success was to do a ritual and then completely put it out of mind. Just walk away and don't, don't even care what happens, you know? And so I was always like, why, why would that be the case? Why wouldn't, you know, wouldn't putting intent into it, make, make it happen, you know, versus like forgetting about it. And here I am reading part of Seth Speaks, and he's talking about how we create reality, but we do it from our subconscious mind, and it's all symbols and things like that. But as long as those symbols are in the conscious mind, they're not affecting reality. And I suddenly went, oh, he just explained lust for results. God damn it. Because, <laughs> I mean, there was part of me that wanted to debunk it. You know, there's part of me that wanted to be like, okay, no, this proves this is not, that this was a hoax, this was not real, this was... And every book I've yeah. read, I've just instead walked away more sure that there was something legitimate here. Yeah, this, a lot of the way that that uh, it things are described in there as well, like they they are very similar in details to many things that you know I've come across and really like obscure stuff about uh you know yogic um mysticism and uh you know things coming out of uh india that even if even if jane was you know part of the you know hippie or new age movement or spiritual movements that were looking at mysticism and would have you know some ex you know exposure to it a lot of the details that she talks about are things that like are coming from people who are you know considered 
saints, uh, you know, and have been sort of trying to describe uh, uh, Vedanta, which is like the core, you know, Hindu cosmology um, for like centuries. And so there's a lot of stuff in there, which I was just very surprised to see in the way that, um, you know, it's talked about, like, especially uh, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, there's when uh, talking about reincarnation uh, in particular, the way in which it's described as like playing a role, like an actor yeah. um, uh, is very similar to some of the ways that you hear some of, you know, these people um, that I, I have reason to believe or, you know, have some sort of a uh, uh, kind of mystical knowledge, the way to describe it. So I, I found that I've always found that to be very um, compelling about, the the material on top of the stuff that you guys already talked about. Yeah. So there's also the one of the things that's different though is that Seth postulates that personality does survive, whereas a lot of Eastern yeah. religions postulate you just become part of the whole and your personality, your individuality doesn't survive. You see, this is one of the this is one of the things where I think where you know. Uh, She's talking about, or Seth is talking about, you know, the, the the specificity in how she describes, like the all-in-one and the one-in-all, is much similar to, like, like what you're talking about. I think that is true in many ways when you're looking at Buddhism, uh, but when you get to the core of Vedanta, and it, it really isn't the case at all. Like, oh. there's very much this idea of the individuality is um, it continues. It's like, um, and the way that, like, I've heard people describe it that, you know, again, some of these people that I've been, you know, am interested in researching it. it and so that's one of the things that I think is very interesting about it is the way the specificity in which she talks about reincarnation, it aligns much more with the way in which it's spoken about by like, the real deep heads that are, you know, uh, into this stuff. Um, and that it's more like a misinterpretation, the idea of like losing individuality. It, it's again, has to do with that misinterpretation of what Maya means too, and this idea of things being illusory or something, which isn't as dismissive as a lot of people think it is. Same way that I think people right. misunderstand, you know, mystic Christianity too, um, yeah. in a lot of ways. That's really interesting. Yeah. But it, you're you're right, Soraya, and that like the those the the way in which reincarnation is described uh, in Seth, and I'm like looking through the PDF I have of the book here because I do have some like highlights of things that um, uh, over you know the when I was look relooking at it again is that yeah um, uh, yeah I can't find it now, but <laughs> there's there's quite a bit in there that's like um, the specifics of it are very interesting and they align with some stuff that I found um, uh, you know. It's written by other people that she probably wouldn't have had contact with. And it also seems, if I'm remembering right, and it's been a little while since I've read Seth Speaks, but Seth speaks about, like, you die, you can reincarnate, but you can also create other reincarnational selves, almost like branches of a tree keep continuing to spread. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a, a enormous amount of, um, like, expansiveness uh, of the, the soul. You know, it, uh, refers to the like the superstructure of the soul as the, the entity, um, and you know the the personality uh, that we are. Um, uh, there's um, multiple personalities uh, that make up uh, uh, 
Uh, yeah. The way I understood the hierarchies, multiple personalities uh, make up the soul or oversoul. Right. And multiple oversouls make up the entity. And um, the, but the, the nature of uh, your personality is it's, uh, it's continuously, it, it's just like you said, uh, branching off. Uh, there's a, a continuous kind of uh, expansion um, and uh, uh Creation, reincarnational selves yeah. uh, from from the past, from the future, uh, can branch off and uh, form completely uh, separate identities. I remember his. It, I remember him saying at one point that he he one of his selves was a dog at one point, but that he had lost track of it. Yeah. 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 Some yeah, of this stuff too, I feel like is in the same way that you get these sort of like you know funny Zen Cohens that are like riddles or like trying to explain something that like we have no concept of through language i sometimes i yeah. feel like that's what you're getting to with with seth um yeah. uh yeah like that that i mean i don't know maybe that dog the dog one is literal but it's when i hear that it's like i feel like there's some greater significance there that maybe i'm not catching <laughs> but he he emphasizes over and over uh that you know it he's explaining things as simply as he can, um, you know, kind of indicating that things are probably significantly more complex, um, than, than the way it's being presented. Uh, but, uh, uh, the dog thing, uh, I think there's a section in Seth speaks where he talks about, um, a soul can kind of, um, uh, dissociate part of its energy to come back and, uh, manifest as a, as an animal. Um, uh, to kind of experience that earthy kind of existence, yeah, um, uh, and that some some souls do that too because they're they're kind of longing or kind of nostalgic for that kind of experience. Um, anything you want to add, Matt? So yeah, I actually wanted to go back to what Chris was talking about with a lot of things you just touched on, because like that was a thought I had when I was like leafing through my copy of Seth Speaks before we came on. And the more I look through it, all my just millions of little different highlighted passages, I think, how do I want to phrase this? It speaks a lot to the accessibility of the Seth material that the way so much of it is presented really reminds me of this sort of Sufi teaching principle that like the more you're willing to put into a certain teaching story, whatever, the more you're going to get from it. Where like to apply that to Seth, if you just, you know, pick up Seth Speaks or any of the other books and read through what Seth says, like on a surface level, yeah, it's just a really, you know, poetic, beautiful way of talking about the experience of life. But like the more you look into it, the more you research other things, it's something that you can keep coming back to again and again and again and like keep yeah. seeing those deeper, more complex layers to yeah. the intricacies of what's getting described. Like, yeah. I'm sure, you know, the way we were just getting into the weeds on some of this reincarnation stuff, that would sound completely impenetrable to some people who are unfamiliar with all of this. Whereas if you pick up and just start reading any of this, it'll be presented in a way that like is as simple as like a parable you would tell a child, but like would have that incredible like depth and complexity to it when you're yeah. ready to like reach that level of interpretation. You know, the books, the books yeah. kind of uh, flower out like that too. They kind of, um, it's, it's like the, 
there's increasing complexity as you go further into the material and it it kind of you know there's it's a little bit recursive it uh uh gives you a refresher on earlier elements but it adds to it as it does so yeah um so it's um it's just it's interesting the way it um it builds on previous um material so meticulously and and so perfectly i mean he picks up yeah. months after you know they might do yeah. a session for months he picks up right where they left off yeah <laughs> which i'm sure they could fake that but it's it'd be really hard in the way that it's written um plus a lot of times they did these these dictations with other people there too um so looking at this paper board it says uh it, well, it talks about uh, material being communicated through subconscious levels of the medium psyche, and that's one of the things Seth talks about. That what he's saying, it's not you're not hearing Seth. Seth is a combination of what he is and what Jane is, because he's using her as a filter to communicate. So uh, it says the conditions and manifestations of the communications would be limited by the capacity of the medium, and colored by the medium's personal subconscious. Mediums are personalities, and they must interpret the information they receive. There are no pure channels through which mediumistic information magically flows. Yeah. Uh, by analyzing the content and style of, of the dictation of the Seth material, and then comparing it to the abilities, knowledge, and milieu of both the person speaking the text, Jane Roberts, and the person taking the dictation, Robert Butts, who was her husband, um, the investigator would try to establish whether or not it was likely the channel and her scribe might have written the Seth material themselves. One would establish Seth's voice as a kind of origin such that Robert's and Butt's usual ordinary waking utterances would be comparable in some way. Seth's dictated material would, would be compared with Jane's written books to see if they are the same author. This would permit investigators to exclude Jane Roberts, uh, Jane Roberts and Robert Butts as authors of the Seth material and rule out the likelihood of fraud. And uh, let's see. Even if the Seth material does, repre does represent the subliminal activity of Jane Roberts' psyche, alone, however, it does not follow that such messages have no interest or novelty for the psychologist. Since so many of humanity's brilliant and most practical theories have been attributed as coming from the subconscious sources, it is reasonable to suppose that the Seth material may contain empirically verifiable pr propositions that could advance present understanding of nature and human personality and the characteristics of consciousness. Um, man, I took a lot of notes on this thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh uh, okay, I can continue with another one here. Uh, potentially verifiable, falsifiable predictions are presented throughout the Seth material that can be evaluated by appropriate truth tests. For instance, is telepathy the underlying basis for all language comprehension? Do dream locations continue to exist even while awake? Can yes, they do. <laughs> can inaudible sound be used to manipulate physical matter? Well, we know that. That's something we've done with science by now. Uh, does dividing a long sleep-wake cycle into two or three cycles of lesser duration produce positive mental and physical health outcomes that conform to Seth's stated predictions? And okay. there are a lot of people, a lot of scientists who will say having two sleep periods is better than one. Uh, to what degree do the multiple and diverse practice elements presented in the Seth material provide practical, therapeutic, psychological benefit for those who perform them? Does Seth's explanation of the mechanics of telepathy advance understanding of how telepathy operates and how it may be developed? How might electromagnetic energy units and consciousness units that are hypothesized building blocks of physical matter 
be brought within the range of scientific instruments? How can the multidimensional gateways that Seth calls coordination points, which are predicted to evoke electromagnetic anomalies, duration in time, puckering of space, and emotional intensities in people be detected? Are there distinguishing marks by which false doctored documents of early Christendom can be identified? Do caves exist in the Pyrenees and certain areas of Spain, Australia, and Africa that contain false ends behind which might be found the remnants of an ancient civilization? Um, How much of that is like actually, because like you or the author of the paper like introduced that section as like these are the predictions that can be tested. Like how much of those like literally could be tested? That's that's the problem. Um, And when, when, if I remember right, when Seth, Speaks was being written is right when we were finding the caves, uh, the really old caves on the border of France and Spain. And it happened, I think the news articles came out just after the session where Seth was talking about these ancient cultures digging these, hmm. these using sound to open up these caves, and how a lot yeah. of the artwork was going to be of a sort of multi dimensional content. So when you looked at it, you weren't seeing what they were seeing when they were creating it. Right. And what I find interesting about that is when you do look at the artwork from those caves, it's not like any other cave art. It looks, mm. it literally looks multidimensional. And if they were on hallucinogens while they were making them, they were literally probably seeing into another reality while they were creating this artwork. Right. They were trying to recreate like the three-dimensional sigil that you once saw in right. your dream. Mm-hmm. Four-dimensional. Four-dimensional, sorry, it was four-dimensional, yeah. Add another dimension every time you tell the story. <laughs> well, a, three, a three-dimensional sig- sigil, I Three-dimensional would here. just be like a sculpture, yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah you're right. Um, I'm no good with my dimensions, man. I'm never going to get 5D. So, <laughs> so uh, I mean, of, of those lists, I mean, there's a few things. Can inaudible sound be used to manipulate physical matter? Well, we're doing that. You know, we yeah. have we have tools now that can levitate stuff that you you can't hear. They're using subsonics and stuff like that to to produce, uh, to to sh- you know lift things and and do all kinds of interesting stuff. And that's only the stuff we know about. As I said, the sleep wake cycle that was something that people apparently used to do all the time. Uh, most right. people would sleep a yeah. little bit, like take four hours, then get up for a couple hours, and then get another four hours. Um, so as far as the Seth material being practical. I mean, there's a lot of exercises he gives in there, and I've tried some of them, and every one of the ones I tried seemed to have an effect. Uh, but I also found that if I read enough of the, of the Seth material right before going to sleep, I would have strange dreams, and other people have told me the same thing. Hmm. So I don't know if that's content, um, like, you know, when you're, you're playing a video game a lot and you go to sleep and then dream about the video game. Um, or if it's really having an effect on our psyche, just thinking about these concepts. I think it is. Yeah. Especially if, you know, you're coming from the space of, uh, consciousness creates reality. Then if you're thinking about these things, then you are giving them energy. You're giving it like, uh, um, uh, you're, you're creating a connection, uh, to it. That's the way I would, I might think of it at least. Yeah. It. It's definitely impacted that the, there's a, a quality, qualitative difference, not necessarily the content of the dreams, but um, certain dreams have a different feel to them um, uh, more recently for me um, that it's hard to put my finger on exactly, but it feels like maybe other things are happening there, um, uh, maybe on a like a spiritual development level that is, is contributing to a, a different feel to it. Um, 
but you know, I, according to to Seth, you there's so much translation between what you what you actually are dreaming and what you wake up remembering. Um, yeah, uh, where it gets all shoehorned yeah. into three dimensional yeah. reality. That uh, yeah. so a lot of it, a lot of that's um, uh, you're not remembering what you actually dreamed. Now you you had said yes when I mentioned the dream world exists when we're not there. Uh, that's been my experience. Uh, okay. There's I've had numerous dreams throughout my life uh, where I go back to uh, places that uh, I've dreamed of before. Um, Oh, completely. Me too. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Structures, in fact, are a big part of my dreams. And there are these like certain houses and structures that are very specific, do not look like any place that I've lived before, but I return to them again and again. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's a house I live in in the dream that I've never seen before, but I know it's my house. There's also a waterfall that I'm always trying to take people to and can never remember quite how to get to. Every once in a while, I get to it. Uh. Um, so the, I, I think two of the issues I did have with the Seth material, one of them is that, that ancient civilization idea, although she talks about, or Seth talks about these, it doesn't really talk about Atlantis much, but jumps back to a previous culture that he calls Lumania, which is one of the things I have an issue with because Lumeria, you know, he states it's not Lumeria, but Lumeria is the name. That was kind of made up of a, of, of a land bridge they thought existed between, I think, Madagascar and India. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so mm-hmm. for him to use Lumania, it's like, okay, that's kind of a weird uh, thing to use. But he talks about them using sound technology as a primary yeah. component of their science. And we find in ancient structures all over the world this really advanced sound technology. Right. So, and any thoughts on the Lumania thing? Like, I mean, my thoughts on, on it are that, uh, you know, I think that, you know, most of the time when I hear that as well, when I hear the word Lumeria or anything that's, you know, close to that, I kind of start to, you know, my, my, uh, debunker hackles kind of come up and I'm like, yeah, I feel like maybe, you know, whoever is writing this hasn't really looked at if you're using that term you know, uh, in good faith where it comes from. Um, and maybe if you're talking about a lost Island, that's fine. And there's no name for it, but with the Seth stuff, especially since it's called Lumania, for me, that always seemed to be one of those like transition or translation glitches that Mm. I think is part of this, you know, I mean, whether or not it's through the medium of Jane Roberts and her being, you know, a science fiction writer um, and, you know, the Seth consciousness is searching for, you know, something to, you know, a word to attach to that. Um, and that as with, I think some things in the text, and these are usually the parts that I um, uh, have, I don't know, not issues with, but confuse me in some way. And maybe I'm just being an apologist for it. But to me, when I come across these glitches, it seems I always think of them as something that is, you know, either lost in translation or I'm just too thick to get. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's never it's never seemed to me, at least with specifically with Jane Roberts, I've never had that same feeling when you have someone else all of a sudden talking about Lumeria and you're like, all right, for, you know, we, we've yeah. gone into um, uh, make believe world. <laughs> Not that that I shouldn't say make believe because that's a bad way of saying it. We've gone into sort of like. 
uh, I Hoaxing. guess, cult leader, yeah, um, yeah. you know, bad information. Uh, yeah, something like that. Matt, you were going to say something? That's kind of exactly what I was getting at. That like those types of basically anything of this kind, whether it be, you know, uh, Seth talking about these ancient civilizations or Casey or a waspy, like they are so easily co-opted by these conspiratorial movements that like, I mean, even if like none of that was happening the way I look at it, it's like awesome story would be really cool if it was true, but largely kind of beside the point of what the actual teachings Seth is trying to get across are. True, true. And if I remember right, Seth p- puts this continent in uh, the Pacific, which I, I'm looking at it. I think it's, it's let's see those who have left it evolved into mental entities. Is this the one? Maybe I'm trying to find it in Seth speaks now. I'm sorry, go yeah. ahead. What you're saying, but, but uh, it, I'm pretty sure that's right. <laughs> so you know, it's like and if you're looking at a lost continent in the Pacific, especially in Southeast Asia type of area, there was definitely something there. You know, and now we have that that temple there, that pyramid. In Southeast Asia, uh, which I used to remember the name of off the top of my head, but apparently it's gone at the moment. Um, Go Padang? No. Oh, uh, yeah. Is that the one? You're talking about the one that. Gadong Padang. Yes, Gadong Padang, which could be over 30,000 years old. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I'm looking at this now, and it's uh, one of the things I'd highlight. You think of physical history as beginning with the caveman and continuing to the present, but there have been other great scientific civilizations, some spoken of in legend, some completely unknown, all in your terms now vanished. Um, And this is the one, uh, it doesn't, this is in Seth Speaks. um, And it doesn't, uh, I don't see anything here about the Pacific, but maybe this is a, it's a different one that we're looking at. But, um, yeah, basically talking about, uh, these early civilizations that, uh, existed, these groups and different cycles of reincarnational activity going through these different crises and developments and civilizations. Um, uh, and he's saying like earth to them is now a leg- the legendary home. They form new races and species that could no longer physically accommodate themselves to your atmospheric conditions. However, they also continued on the reincarnational level as long as they inhabited physical reality. Some of these have mutated and long left the reincarnational cycle, however. Uh, Those who left it have evolved into the mental entities that they always were, being that, you know, the mental, uh, uh, like, body or mental uh, mind is primary, Uh, They've discarded material form. These group entities still takes a great interest in Earth. They lend its support and energy in a way that could be thought of now as Earth gods. On your planet, they were involved in three particular civilizations long before the time of Atlantis, when, in fact, your planet itself was in a somewhat different position, particularly in relationship to three of the other planets that you know. The poles were reversed. They were, incidentally, for three long periods of your planet's his uh these civilizations were highly technological the first one uh sorry highly technological the second one being in fact far superior to you along your lines along those lines sound was utilized far more effectively not only for healing and in wars but also to power the vehicles of locomotion and to bring about the movement of physical matter sound was a conveyor of weight and mass the strength of this secondary civilization lay mainly in the areas now known as africa and australia although at that time not only was the climate entirely different, but the land areas. Yeah. All right. That was a perfect quote for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, in this paper, there was, there was also a better overview of the whole 
thing. It says, uh, from December 1963 through August 1984, Jane Roberts, who lived from 1929 to 1984, of Elmira, New York, which is 45 minutes from here. I really wish that Robert was still alive and I could go talk to him. Right. Oh, um, man. He channeled a purported discarnate entity that called himself Seth by a method called automatic speech or voice communication while in a self-induced trance state of consciousness. Seth, who always claimed a separate and independent status from Jane Roberts, communicated initially through a Ouija board on December 8, 1963, and by the eighth session on December 15, 1963, Jane received answers to questions mentally before the board spelled them out and began dictating the words sounded within her. By the 14th session, a deepening of Jane's voice and darkening of her eyes was observed during dictation, and the 26th at the 26th session on February 28, 1964, the Ouija board was laid aside and Jane spoke for Seth for the first time before a witness. From then on, Seth spoke through Jane Roberts at scheduled days and times, usually twice a week on Monday and Wednesday around 9 p.m. and otherwise spontaneously with Jane's permission. Seth continued to speak through Jane until August 30th, 1984, six days before her death of, of rheumatoid arthritis at the age of 55 on Wednesday, September 5th, 1984 at 2.08 a.m. after being bedridden at St. Joseph's Hospital in Elmira for a year and nine months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, oh, I found it where she says, yeah, the civilization was called Lumania. It, and Yep. So, yeah, so that, that, that's stuff. one of the few things where I was like, Lumania, really? Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's a minor thing. And like you said, it could just be lost in translation. It's really interesting, though. This reminded me uh, because I found that quote when she's talking about Lumania. There's this whole thing about how they basically went in and epigenetically or like physically were adjusting um, uh, like our the DNA or the makeup of this, the, the people in the civilization to uh, like short circuit violence and aggression. And that yeah. that ended up creating these really bad complications, um, uh, which is really I for, totally forgot about that, which is such an interesting and specific thing. And one of the 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 specific the specific things that for me, like, I don't know, in faking the idea, you know, or wherever this is coming from, I feel like it's coming from an authentic place of the unconscious, you know, and that that type of detail um, to me pops out. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, why would you talk about it in that way? It's really, it's, yeah, it's interesting. Um, so it says here, what would a witness observe if he or she attended a typical Seth session? Jane could perform a variety of motor movements while in Seth trance, such as smoking a cigarette, drinking wine, and striding across the room while speaking steadily for hours in long, complex narratives without having any memory of what was said afterwards. When Jane Roberts clicks out into Seth, physical alterations are observed in her facial features, gestures, volume, and accent of voice, word inflection, and a marked dilation of eye pupils, which I did not know. That's very interesting. There are, there are videos of her channeling on YouTube, and for me, they're very hard to watch. Yeah, I was going to say, like, there's plenty of that available, but, like, no mm. one should really dive into it because it is just... Not that there's anything wrong with it. It's just the way she speaks and the mannerisms and everything. It is like so irritating to listen to her yeah, talk. It is. Way. It really is. Yeah. <laughs> um, it says the pers- personal sessions contain deleted Seth material not included in regular Seth sessions 
because of its private and highly sensitive nature and to avoid any possible embarrassment to the individuals involved. Reaching into the minds of strangers present and improvising on themes intimately related to them, the Jane version of Seth could demonstrate penetrating psychological insight that pinpointed an individual's character, abilities and liabilities, identify subconscious conflicts, and uncover therapeutic issues that fit with the emotional needs of the personality in this life or a previous one, as only the most accomplished psychodynamically trained psychologist could. Numerous examples of uh, Seth's, and that's where the quote stops, uh, Seth's psychology, psychologically oriented messages that serve therapeutic ends can be found throughout the personal sessions. That one I haven't read. I haven't either. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was something else I was going to say. Oh, I, I, I will say I discussed this with George Hansen when I had him on. I don't know if it was in the actual show or not. But he said he was also fairly convinced that the way Jane Roberts described Seth, like as an entity using her as a filter, was exactly how he thought that stuff worked. Yeah. Um, yeah. A series of more formal clairvoyant tests held twice weekly ran for one year that were conducted by Dr. Instream, uh, which is a pseudonym for Dr. N. Easterbrook. This is what you were talking about earlier. A professor of psychology at Oswego State University College on Monday and Wednesday nights at 10 p.m. The 76 clairvoyance tests with Dr. Instrom ran from the 189th session on September 10th, 20th, 1965 to the uh, 272nd session on June 29th, 1966. So this is before she was any books were published. The, the clairvoyance impressions given by Seth are documented in the written record. Jane Roberts wrote Dr. Instrum on July 10, 1966, canceling the series of experiments because she had received no correspondence from him since January of that year and no feedback from him regarding the outcomes of any tests. Seth offered some clarification about the matter almost two years later in the 420th session on July 1, 1968. Our results with him were good as far as the tests were concerned, Though there was considerable distortion because Rupert, which is what Seth referred to Jane as, uh, Rupert's abilities had not been sufficiently developed. There were direct hits, in other words, but these results could not be mathematically appraised in terms of the odds against them, and this is what Dr. Instrum was looking for. Robert and Jane operated in a vacuum since he did not tell them anything regarding the tests, negative or favorable. No academic psychologist, including Dr. Instrum, will give you a... will give you a statement to the effect that I am a surviving or survival personality. Dr. Instrum will give a statement, I believe, as to Robert and Jane's character, the quality of the Seth material, and the fact that no fraud of any kind is involved. Mm. So this guy was connected to MK Ultra, you said. Right. Oh, he was a bad dude. Really? He did yeah. experiments on kids. Ah, yeah. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Was he one of the Project Paperclip people? I don't think he was a Nazi. No, okay. I think he was. I think he was Canadian. He wasn't that famous evil Canadian who worked at McGill. But yeah, he was just one of those doctors that was involved with all this stuff. All right. So this next quote was: uh, "Unlike conventional messages communicated by mediums with deceased loved ones, Seth's material does not deal ostensibly with communications with the dead." Instead, the Seth material presents information covering a range of scientific, philosophic, and psychological topics in addition to practical, therapeutic, and psychological advice to its readers. Seth as Jane identified the most distinguishing and valuable contribution of the Seth material. 
The basic firm groundwork of the material and its primary contribution lie in the concept that consciousness itself creates matter, that consciousness is not imprisoned by matter but forms it, and that consciousness is not limited or bound by time and space. Time and space in your terms being necessary distortions or adapted conditions forming a strata for physical existence. Yep. <laughs> um, and as far as Seth's literary creations, there's a list here. A uh, brief overview of the content of Seth's first six books provides the reader who is unfamiliar with the Seth material an introduction to the kinds of information that was dictated through Jane during a Seth session. Seth's first book, Seth Speaks, The Eternal Validity of the Soul, was published in 1972, not 71, as I said earlier, uh, presents his system of philosophy and metaphysics. My message to the reader, basically, you are no more of a physical personality than I am, and in telling you of my reality, I tell you of your own. Seth's second book, The Nature of Personal Reality, from 1974, presents his system of psychology and ethical teachings. Seth's main idea is that we create our personal reality through our conscious beliefs about ourselves, others, and the world, and provides excellent exercises to show each person how to apply these theories to any life situation. Seth's third and fourth book, The Unknown Reality, Volumes 1 and 2, which came out in 77 and 79, describe in more detail the nature of the hidden dimensions, unconscious sources, and deeper realities of ordinary living, and presents numerous practice elements meant to expand the private reality of each reader, who is determined to understand the unknown elements of the self and the great, its greater world. Seth's fifth book, The Nature of the Psyche, Its Human Expression, addresses the role of dreams in human evolution, human sexuality as it relates to the private and collective psyche, and the birth of language. Seth's sixth book, The Individual and the Nature of Mass Events, describes the psychical mechanisms by which individuals' beliefs and expectations coalesce to create the species' collective experience of the great, sweeping, emotional, religious, biological, political, philosophical, scientific, social, and cultural events of our times. Now, when uh, one of the things that struck me as the cat takes the mic away from me um, is that he talks about um, group events being caused by groups of people. So like he talks about the flooding that happened in Elmira when the Susquehanna overfell, overflowed. I think it's the Susquehanna anyway. And how the the overall mood of the people living there was kind of like they needed things washed clean. And this was sort of the response is that this event occurred. Um, from a personal standpoint, I've had things like that. But also, but not the, but the, but those were like personal things. They weren't like group things. But again, if you go back to the uh, to uh, what should I call it, uh, Willette's Illuminations book, and where he's postulating that some UFO flaps are basically poltergeist events, that's kind of what he's talking about as well. He's saying that these areas that these flaps happen in, there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of things that are shifting that are causing an uptick in PK energy from the general public that is then being conveyed as a UFO flap, which is not completely unlike what Seth is saying. Yeah. And you, you could uh, possibly correlate that with um, uh, coordination points. Yeah. I, concept mm -hmm. of yeah. What were coordination points again? I don't remember those completely. They're uh, super concentrated um, uh, interdimensional um, 
pinpoints of energy where energy flows back and forth between dimensions, uh, between realities, uh, and they're they're supposedly super psychoreactive, very reactive to emotions, very reactive to uh, uh, thoughts, intents, beliefs. So Um, so like portal areas. Exactly. Mm. Okay, we got to take a quick break. We will be right back. Okay, a quick mid-show break here. First, contact info. If you have a story you want to submit for a listener story show or you just want to talk about something uh, that happened to you, um, either on the air or off, stories at wheredidtheroadgo.com. For general stuff, contact at wheredidtheroadgo.com. And for everything, you can go to wheredidtheroadgo.com. And it has all the links to the social media, all the emails in the contact section, uh, my snail mail address, uh, the uh, Amazon wish list, everything. Everything can be found there. Uh, You can also make a donation, which I greatly appreciate everyone who does that. There's links to PayPal and the Cash App and uh, Venmo and and every show that uh, we have aired since day one is available on the website and it is searchable. So... Uh, go check it out. There's also shows I've been on in there, not a complete archive, uh, just because I haven't had time, but uh, a lot of shows I've been on can be found there as well. All right. Uh, you can also check out my, my essentially a metal show, uh, although we play a lot of other stuff. Um, the Last Exit for the Lost. So if you're into heavier, darker music, thelastexit.org is the uh, place to find that. And now for a recommendation this week, it's definitely going to be a murder at the end of the world. And this was the latest series from Britt Marling and Zal, I don't know how to say his last name, Bat Mangalage or something to that effect. I'm sure I just mangled that. Um, and it's, uh, it's described as Darby Hart, a Gen Z amateur sleuth, attempts to solve a murder at a secluded retreat. This was incredible. Um, I am a huge fan of the stuff Britt and um, Zal do. They did the OA. They've done a bunch of movies. But this one just, I had no idea where it was going at any point. Um, I was absolutely um, just fascinated with the whole thing and the way it laid out. It's not particularly paranormal, but there's some paranormal vibes here and there. And there's at least one little kind of hidden paranormal Easter egg I noticed. Uh, There might be more. But it takes you in all kinds of different directions, and it kind of addresses all kinds of different issues um, and I just absolutely loved it. It's probably my favorite thing I saw in 2023. So that would be my recommendation. It's on Hulu and, uh, yeah, it's only seven episodes. So, and it has an end, a beginning and an end. It's, it's not leaving off of the cliffhanger or anything like that. I don't think it was meant to be more than one season. So, uh, they probably learned that from having the OA canceled mid stride. So, uh, yeah, that's my recommendation. A murder at the end of the world. Now back to the show. So I have here with me tonight uh, Christopher Ernst, Jack Huntington, and Matt Festa, right? I got everyone's yep. name right, right? That's All it. Right. Still here. And uh, we're talking about the Seth material. And uh, as uh, Jack has pointed out, any of these topics could pretty much be an entire show. Um, yeah. I want to get to coordination point. Yeah, let's let's do coordination points, and then let's talk about UFOs. So, uh, Chris, you were going to say something about coordination points. Oh, I was just going to say that, like one, I, the coordination points. I remember reading this, like I think it was when I was in college or something like that, and it was um 
something that I had remarked upon is that the way in which <laughs> in Seth speaks, um, he talks about uh, or uses sort of like uh, the quote is says the letters uh, upon the page are symbols talking about like what we're reading right now. And you've oh, agreed that's... upon various meanings connected with them. You that take it for a, granted. Sorry. That's such a great part. I'm sorry to interrupt you. That was yeah, the, yeah, yeah. one of the first things that uh, in the material that really just blew my mind. Um, yeah. I mean, it's. Uh, <clears throat> It's great. And and saying that and then going and you've agreed upon various meanings connected with them. You take it for granted without even thinking of it, that the symbols, the letters are not the reality, the information or thoughts, which they attempt to convey in the same way. I'm telling you that objects are also symbols that stand for a reality whose meaning the objects like the letters transmit. And it's it's there's, you know. I'd be really curious to hear somebody who's like, if somebody wanted to, you know, uh, 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 sort of analyze this from an uh, academic perspective, like he's talking right here about, you know, really sort of core semiotics, which is, uh, you know, the study of signs and symbols. And it's really a fascinating way, I think, to approach this idea of, you know, uh, 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 consciousness first reality. Uh, because I think it's a really accessible way, at least for me, I found it to be a really accessible, like mental model uh, to think about this. Now, that was my, you know, sort of two cents. All right. Yeah, anyone, anyone, else have, anyone else have comments on that? Uh, no, that's like one of the things that's like Seth puts it so eloquently. There's like nothing you can really <laughs> add to it to expand <laughs> on it. It's like just, yeah, like good job, dude. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Matt, you, during the break, you brought up UFOs. What I remember is Seth saying something like, like someone in the class asked him what UFOs were, and his response was uh, that they were consciousness from other realities, and that he was kind of surprised we could see them. <laughs> mm-hmm. And what was the quote you had you had there? So, yeah, this is something that like is not directly even addressing anything UFO phenomena related. It's from Seth Speaks, the chapter on, I think, different versions of reality or like ways to perceive like multiple iterations of reality. Regardless, the passage itself is talking about just the nature of memory and whatnot. And like when I was flipping through my notes, like the only thing I wrote on this page was accidental UFO metaphor. Mm. So the passage itself reads inner portions of your personality also have memory of all of your dreams. These exist simultaneously and suspended, so to speak, like lights over a dark city, illuminating various portions of the psyche. And like, that's yeah. kind of like one of the things I was getting at before. We're like just reading that like verbatim. It's like, yeah, that's a really poetic metaphor for things. But like there's so many layers of meaning you can take from that. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's it really aligns so, so well, too, with these sort of deeper uh, or at least my interpretations of these sort of deeper and more recent or and obscure interpretations of Vedanta and Sufism that I've come in contact with um, in, in that it's, you know, it, it sort of takes the, um, it's a good way of describing it. Um, uh, it, it continues to, uh, 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 it continues to put emphasis on the uh, sort of multifaceted nature of a, of supposedly like a being's true identity in that it consists of this sort of 
you know, a conglomerate of all these different personalities that are being like highlighted to some degree or another, but everything else is still existing there. It's just like, you know, we're only focused in on a, a, a tiny sliver of it, but it's still like there and ex it, it's, you know, accessible in this very unconscious way. And that really aligns with a lot of the ways that at least I've interpreted reincarnation to exist, uh, where you're not like destroying the, uh, the personality that it's, you know, it's more of an additive thing. I was looking for... Just to uh, contrast, uh, the whole Ramtha Jay-Z Knight thing. Unfortunately, I clicked on a video. Um, but Ramtha's probably... people are unfamiliar with Ramtha and Jay-Z Knight, uh, Jay-Z Knight is, um, uh, she also is, uh, or was, I think she still might be, was a major funder of MUFON. Was she really? Uh -huh. I, oh, I do remember that. You're right. Yeah. 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 Like really behind the scenes, behind the books type or off the books type thing. But didn't I she... was going to say, if you're on, sorry, I was going to say, if you're unfamiliar with Jay-Z Knight, congratulations. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Wasn't, wasn't there some incident though, where like Rantha predicted the world was going to end and she had everyone give up all their money and come live on her compound or something. Was that someone else? That might've been her. I, that's what I was looking for. Miguel would know. Yeah. I didn't want to say it was her if it wasn't, but yeah, there was some channeled entity that they basically said, Oh, the world's going to end. Uh, you need to all come here, give me all your money and, uh, just live here so that you survive the end of the world. And then of course the world didn't end. And she told them all to go away. I mean, that's like the most obvious red flag when it comes to all of this, because like any prediction of the end of the world so far has had a zero percent success rate. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, we don't we don't know what happened in, in, in those civilizations before us. Just our predictions have been bad. Um, but that's the thing. You know, there's nothing like that in the Seth material. There, there's no, you know, end of the world stuff. There's right. no uh, give us your money. There's no, I mean, other than the money they made off the books, I don't think they made any other money. Uh, and the books were bestsellers, so they probably did pretty well mm -hmm. off the books. Um, but he was an artist, yeah. and she was, you know, she wrote mostly poetry. And it really, it, it became, it, I think that there was like another resurgence of it in like the late 80s or early 90s where you got like Deepak Chopra and like I, all of these kind of like. visualization. Yeah, they like really glommed on to it. Like, who was the woman who ran for, uh, uh, she was running for president, Marianne Williamson. Like she was, you know, like all of these sort of, you know, influencer, um, uh, like, uh, pop, uh, pop gurus kind of started in my opinion, co-opting a lot of the ideas and regurgitating them in that same way that, you know, People are regurgitating, you know, uh, Hindu or Buddhist or um, uh, thoughts a lot in in New Age. And so that I think has I don't want to say it's muddied the waters, but it certainly is um, impacted. I think not only some of the ideas as they get uh, um, watered down and thinned down through these reinterpretations, but yeah. also, um, you know, like you like reputation wise. Yeah, because a lot of a lot of the that stuff is like you know the the intention stuff is, well, just focus on what you want and you'll get it. 
Right. You know, like the secret. Yep. And and that's all the, the new thought stuff, which apparently has its own sort of history. And if you look yep. at the Seth material and you take a glance at it, you might be thinking, oh, this is the same type of stuff, but it's really not. Because Seth's right. not telling you, oh, you can just have whatever you want if you put your intent into it. That That is nowhere not in the all. Seth material. Yeah. Seth yeah. is talking about yeah. how you experience things and why and how you yep. have to deal with things in order for other things to happen. Yeah. Um, and also that you're, you know, he, he puts that multiverse idea out there. And yes, the multiverse idea did exist by then. It wasn't particularly popular, but it was there. Uh, but he talks about, you know, and that's, the thing is, you know, we try to look at concepts of infinity and, and our brains just cannot do it. You know, right. so you think, well, how can there be a new universe for every iteration of everything? But then you look out at the, the, the known universe, the number of galaxies out there. Uh, there's that one famous photo that they took with, uh, I think, Hubble, where they said, you see all those stars? Yeah, they aren't stars. They're galaxies, you know, and because there's just such an infinite amount of stuff out there. So if there's that much stuff in the visible universe, to for us to think, you know, uh, well, you couldn't just have infinite iterations of things. Well, why not? Yeah, exactly. Uh, but he he postulates also that there are people, you know, like like this might be my prime reality and there are other iterations of me in other universes that people are experiencing. And in those universes, those are, the, you know, their prime reality, if I'm remembering yeah, that right. Yeah, it, it's totally, totally relative. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, something that, sorry, go ahead. No, no go ahead. I was going to say, I think something that like, muddies a lot of the ideas like that is like in the way a lot of popular media has co-opted those ideas the same way conspirituality movements will co-opt the whole like secret type of you know manifesting reality type thing where like when you sure. mention other dimensions or parallel realities or things like that people immediately jump to like you know the rick and morty or mcu interpretation of those types of things rather than like trying to understand what that would actually mean for like your experience of reality. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and Seth's saying that you create your own reality wasn't, Oh, you can just have what you want. Um, yes, it, it was, you know, you're, you're the experiencing says you're having are being created by you. Uh, and they're coming from an unconscious level. And some of the things are things you need to work through, which I mean, essentially is Jung's idea of like shadow work. But he also does emphasize uh, your your point of power in the present and your ability to change your situation at any time. Yep, that's true. And he also talks about how things ripple both forwards and backwards, that time is not a static thing. And it's happening simultaneously. Yeah. Which I guess, you know, can draw us into, con you know, conversations about the Mandela effect. <laughs> exactly. Mm -hmm. It explains the Mandela effect. Yes. Um, and most of the time we wouldn't know if something in the past changed because our memory of it would change too, because it's all one fluid thing. He actually addresses that exactly. Uh, but he, he doesn't use the term Mandela effect, he, but he talks about how, uh, in, in Gestalt that, um, if enough people decide that they want to change a past event that can happen and you can have a significant portion of the population that, wasn't part of that psychic movement, so to speak, that don't have that. Uh, so they don't have that knowledge or memory of the change happening so that um, it creates the Mandela effect. Hmm. So some of the people remember it one way. Well, people that weren't necessarily part of that. Um, hmm. It seems a little arbitrary. I'm not sure why uh, some people would remember 
like uh, Sinbad in a um, <laughs> right, uh, Alibaba right. movie or, or <laughs> whatever, whatever it was, uh, uh, you know, versus some people not, uh, or Bernstein Bears versus Bernstein Bears, uh, or the Fruit of the Loom cornucopia. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, and there's some uh, of them. That's one I do remember. Yeah, so do I. Um, and some of them yeah, are, are subtle where I'm like, I think a lot of people just assume this was spelled this way or this was spelled this way, like Fruit Loops. Right. You know, right. where you, you, yeah. you know, for years, I thought the Judas Priest record stained class was stained glass. And I would have sworn <laughs> to it because <laughs> right. on right, the right. cover is stained glass. And I, yep. it's just in literal writing, and I just read it as stained glass. And then one day I saw it written as stained class. I went, why does it say class? And I looked at the album and went, oh, my God, it's class. Yeah. yeah. And, and I don't think oh, that yeah. was a Mandela effect. I think it's just my, my brain made the assumption reading that word quickly the first time with this stained glass window behind it, that that was what it said. Yeah, I think just simple distortions like that definitely come into play. And I think that record's also called Killing Machine in the UK, which would have uh, would have uh, not been so confusing to me. <laughs> um, so let, let, let's talk about one of the things, Jack and I, that you and I st- started having this conversation on to begin with. And one, one of the things I was always kind of uh, questionable about was the sort of religious, some of the religious stuff in there, which there's not a lot of. No, there, there's not. Um, the uh, That would be... You know, this would be, let's see. So I'll just read this real quick. All right. Now, the questions on religion and reincarnation will be answered in due time. As mentioned, I will deal with several of your other questions also along with the text. Therefore, we will begin the next chapter called The Meaning of Religion. There are internal realizations always present within the whole self. There is comprehension of the meaning of all existence within each personality. The knowledge of multidimensional existence is not only in the background of your present conscious activity, but each man knows within himself that his unconscious life is dependent upon a greater dimension of actuality. This greater dimension cannot be materialized in a three-dimensional system, yet the knowledge of this greater dimension floods outward from the innermost heart of being and is projected outward, transforming all it touches. This flooding out imbues certain elements of the physical world with a brilliance and intensity far surpassing that usually usually known. Those touched by it are transformed, in your terms, into something more than they were. This inner knowledge attempts to find a place for itself within the physical landscape to translate itself into physical terms. Each man then possesses this inner knowledge within himself, and to some extent or other, he also looks for confirmation of it in the world. The outer world is a reflection of the inner one, though far from perfect. The inner knowledge can be compared to a book about a homeland that a traveler takes with him into a strange country. Each man is born with the yearning to make these truths real for himself, though he sees a great difference between them and the environment in which he lives. An internal drama is carried on by each individual, a psychic drama which is finally projected outward with great force upon the field of history. The birth of great religious events emerges from the interior religious drama. The drama itself is a psychological phenomenon in a way for each physically oriented self feels thrust alone into a strange environment without knowing its origins or destination or even the reason for its own existence. 
This is the dilemma of the ego, particularly in its early state states. It looks outward for answers because this is its nature, to manipulate within physical reality. It also senses, however, a deep and abiding connection that it does not understand with other portions of the self that are not under its domain. It also It is also aware that this inner self possesses knowledge upon which its own existence is based. As it grows in your terms, it looks outward for confirmation of this inner knowledge. The inner self upholds the ego with its support. It forms its truths into physically oriented data with which the ego can deal. It then projects these outward into the area of physical reality. Seeing these truths thus materialize, the ego finds it easier to accept them. Thus you deal often with events in which men are touched by great illumination, isolated from the masses of humanity, and endowed with, with great powers, periods of history that appear almost unnaturally brilliant in contrast with others. Prophets, geniuses, and kings shown in greater than human proportion. Hmm. Okay, I I, yeah. I remember. Oh. Yeah, that that was that was a very. I don't remember that part. That's fantastic. Um, <clears throat> I do remember him talking about like Christ being parts of three souls or something like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. The uh, supposedly the the Christ uh, the Christ personality is um, the 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 what was it uh, uh, John the Baptist. Uh, and Paul or Saul, and then Jesus Christ—they were all part of the same um, soul or over. No, wasn't, wasn't it? Um, Judas was one of them. Then Jesus, and then John the Baptist. No, uh, Judas—he um, was. Uh, he, there's there's definitely uh, information in there about uh, about him specifically in, in regards to he, him not actually being. Uh, uh, somebody that betrayed Jesus, but kind of played a, a part. Uh, um, it's complicated. The, yeah. the whole, the whole thing, uh, when you read it, it's kind of funny, but it's uh, not, it's end. not that different from what biblical scholars are talking about now. No, it's not. And the, the funny thing is at the end of the, the session, the one specific session that talks about, uh, Judas and all this, um, uh, confusion around the, the crucifixion, uh, how Jane says, uh, nobody's going to like that, <laughs> which was exactly like my, uh, the first thing that came to mind whenever I heard that. But uh, uh, Judas, uh, he he wasn't the, the figure uh, that is conventionally uh, uh, portrayed as, you know, the betrayer of Jesus Christ. Um, supposedly, according to Seth, he, um, he kind of went along with uh, – uh, they they kind of got uh, another person that uh, was sort of deluded into or took on the mantle of uh, the Christ figure to be uh, crucified. That's right. And and uh, Jesus Christ himself wasn't involved with it. And um, so. Uh, and we don't really know anything about that more than we did then, so we can't really verify whether that has any truth to it or not. Right. Um, I do remember him making a few predictions, uh, one of them saying something that, like, the first contact with alien life would be in, like, I don't know, 2016 or something like that, or 2002, but it would be telepathic and it would be someone in Australia. Yeah. Which I forgot about that. And and I think he said it wouldn't be recognized for what it was at the time. 
So, you know, again, not really verifiable. Right. And there was, wasn't there something about uh, Christ consciousness coming back in like being born in like 2016 or something like that, and that the person would be able to show people their other reincarnational lives? Yep. Yep. Um, it uh, There's a whole section on uh, the apparent third coming, I think, I think is what he clarifies it as being versus um, like originally Christ showed up and the Christ personality showed up in uh, Atlantis. Uh, I'm not sure if that's in Seth speaks or the nature of personal reality, but okay. he specifically mentions that. I know that kind of pushes um, uh, credibility buttons, but yeah. Um, yeah. It's one of the few but, things uh, that does. Yeah. Um, but it, it's really interesting. Uh, the, the notion of um, uh, we're we're potentially uh, living in that time um, when Christ has already been reborn, uh, if it's accurate. Um, right, right. And uh, it, from what I understand, the, the major changes that happen they they don't happen during Christ's lifetime. Uh, they happen after the fact. Mm. Uh, there's like a hundred year gap before uh, significant. Uh, before things start to change significantly uh, in terms of uh, humanity's uh, spiritual uh, enlightenment. You know, the, so let's, I was going to say, so let's hurry up and crucify him again. So things can get better. (laughs) (laughs) He does mention that uh, he, he returns when all, all religions are in a shambles, um, which seems to be the way things are going. Yeah. Yeah. Um, The, how was the, the idea of somebody being able to make people aware of their other incarnations. Yeah. And I, and I think they even, he even remarks on the fact that it will end things like war and discrimination, because if you remember right. a life as someone of another, another skin color or another gender or whatever, right. you're suddenly not going to feel like you can, you can dismiss that person because you were that person at one point. Yeah. Yeah. It, but, um, it's like the, that movie. What was the name of the movie? It was about the kid uh, who could make people feel what other people were feeling. Oh, it's like chalk or something like that. Oh, powder? Powder, yes. Right. <laughs> you know, yep. like that That kid Travolta. having- Huh? Wasn't Travolta in that? I believe so, yeah. Share no, my- you're thinking of Phenomenon. Right. I'm thinking of Phenomenon. You're right. Powder was the, he was like all like- white like albino mm-hmm. with no yeah. hair right yeah, yeah, yeah. okay yeah. and there's like a scene where he uh where this hunter shoots a deer and the deer's just sitting there you know writhing not dead and the hunter's just like talking you know like oh yeah well you know you see i, I got the deer or whatever and, and this kid grabs a hold of the deer and the hunter so the hunter can now feel what the deer is feeling and he just has an absolute breakdown will never hunt again etc cetera, etc cetera. And everyone's angry with the kid for doing that. Yeah. So yeah, being able to reveal that stuff would be a hard lesson for a lot of people. I think if they understood what they were doing to other people, there was one thing that uh, was in Seth speaks uh, in the portion where he's talking about Christianity or one of the portions that uh, I'd forgotten about that was, is, is I found really interesting is that again, talking about sort of like forgotten history um, and this comes essentially from him talking about what the real meaning of Christianity was, the Christ drama, as he calls it, 
um, uh, and saying that um, uh, Buddhism comes closer, generally speaking, to the description of the real nature of reality. Um, but basically saying that uh, there's secret methods behind all of the religions and they were meant here and I'll quote to lead man into a realm of understanding that existed apart from the symbols and the stories into inner realizations that would take him both within and without the physical world that he knew. There are many manuscripts still not discovered. This is the part that I thought was interesting from old monasteries, particularly in Spain that tell of underground groups within religious orders who kept these secrets alive when other monks were copying old Latin manuscripts. There were tribes who never learned to write in Africa and Australia. This is, I think, in that, like, these early proto-civilizations who also knew these secrets. And men called, quote, speakers, unquote, who memorized them and spread them upward even throughout northern portions of Europe before the set, the time of Christ. Uh, and then goes on to say the Druids obtained some of their concepts from the speakers. So did the Egyptians. The speakers predated the emergence of any religions that you know. And the religions of the speakers arose spontaneously in many scattered areas, then grew like wildfire from the heart of Africa and Australia. There was one separate group in an area where the Aztecs dwelled at a later date, though the land mass was somewhat different then. And this is the Aztecs, remember, so this is in like Central America. And if you think about some of the theories of, uh, you know, Atlantis or having there be a large landmass that sort of started down there, uh, believe it or not. Um, uh, and some of the lower quick cave dwellings at the time were underwater. Anyway, the speakers was the thing that I had forgotten about, which uh, yeah, was that, like a little nugget that was pretty yeah, cool. That is yeah, really interesting. That was great too. Uh, and we have found manuscripts here and there. Oh yeah. So, all right, we're out of time. We're going to do a part two for this. Um, but, uh, where can people find you, Chris? Oh, you can go to brightrectangle.com or you can go here. And Matt? Uh, you can mostly find me on here on Last Exit for the Lost. That's where I pop up the most often. Uh, you can find my artwork under Tiamat's Garden on Facebook, Instagram, and kind of on Blue Sky, but Blue Sky is still pretty much a ghost town from what I'm seeing. Ah, Okay. And uh, Jack, is there anywhere that that you want to be contacted? The Patreon forum. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So uh, thank you all, and uh, we will continue this in a part two. Thank you. I want to take a moment here to thank all of my Patreons. Without you, this show would not be possible. And I want to give a special shout out to those of you pledging ten dollars or more: Greg Ross, Illuminati, Chuck Shutters, Leanne Cherry, Matt in Delaware. Allison Cook, Super Inframan, Stephen St. George, 36 Dingo, Tim, Andrew Nichols, Matthew Sproul, Midnight Review presents Christine, a blue second-gen MR2 drifting around a Japanese mountain, Patricia Gaiaquinta, Alex Whitcomb, American Rambler, Andrew Maines, Andrew Malone, Ann Witowski, Barbara Fisher, Beverly Williamson, Big Boy Limina, Bright Rectangle, Charles Davis, Charles in Florida, Land of the Crazy and Communicable, CJ, Craig Parmenter, Diane B, MTK, Eric Citron, Eric Todd, History and Coffee, Jay, Jay Otto Bullet, Jack Huntington, James Lindsay, Jim and Sophie, John Mattingly, John Bracken, Carla Mahoney, Kevin, Kevin Shrek, Cool Kitty, Kristen L, Laser Printer Jam, Lauren McLean, Linda, Linz Jackson K, MJ Armstrong, Mark Brady, Mr. Weird, Oli Andre Olar, 
Paul Jeffries, Perry Peters, Philosopher of Mirrors, Riker and Stark, Ron Dupre, Sam Sharon, Schmooples, Devourer of Mortal Souls, Stacey Sherwood, Stevie Norman, Strange Stories with the Seeker and Skeptic Podcast, Tactical Therapist, Taylor Bell, The Esoteric Book Club Podcast, Thunderboy, Tyler Glimstead, Veroche K, Victoria Elant, Vincent Trewell, Will Gebhard, Will Powell, Ren Collier, Annabelle Smith, Caroline Walker, and TDT Skunk Works. Thank you all so very, very much. Um, I hope everyone enjoyed it. Um, I know a lot of you were asking for this. Thanks to Jack for helping out on that one. And uh, yeah, like I said, there's no Patreon segment for this show. And we have a separate standalone Patreon that Chris and Saxon and I did that I will be uploading soon as well. I want to thank everyone for all the support across 2023. Um, I also want to welcome Deb as a new Patreon. And hopefully I have lots of interesting stuff coming up uh, this year. They have stuff planned. We'll see how it all goes. I never like to say what's going on because that just seems to jinx it. If you're a $10 patron, you can watch the documentary Chris did on Where Did the Road Go and Myself. Uh, I will make that available for all patrons at some point in the near future, and there will be hard copies available too if anyone wants to buy one of those. And even though it's past New Year's, um, I figured I'd leave you with a New Year's Eve song from Devo Spice called New Year's Eve. It can be found on the Anarchist Joke Book, Appendix A, apparently, from 2019. And hopefully we'll all have a really good 2024. See you next time. Nobody understands, it's my new pet peeve Cause if you met me, do I seem like the type who wants to cheer for you that has appeared over hype? People like to drink and party all around And then they drink more and then they fall down Then they wonder why their heads pounding as they moan That's assuming they don't die as they're trying to drive home People in New York are getting trolled by a viewer Stand around for nine hours in the cold shouting woo Waiting for a ball they've tagged to roll down It's like Dick Clark teabagged the whole town If this is your thing, whatever, have fun I would never cause I got my own endeavor to run So this is my part, if you believe I'm playing Mario Kart on New Year's Eve Before they realize that they like pies more Or they'll eat less junk Or drink less beer That's bunk It'll be worse than you think next year Pick one And prove that you're facing the strife And convince yourself you haven't been wasting your life Or chasing an arbitrary change of the date Like that means anything to the range of your weight Make a resolution and people hail that But it's just another notion for you to fail at But if you insist on following the herd mind You can try to quit smoking for the 23rd time I do have a goal if you wonder for me It's getting all three stars on 200cc And maybe spend more time with my family too And may extend bedtime But that's something I can do Hey kid, here, take this controller You're Princess Peach Until we beat the Rainbow Road Come on, let's do this It's what I've always done
that's the life that I have led. So at 1201, kiss the wife and go to bed. Like I said, while you yell to be heard at the bar, I'll be slinging red shells from a dinosaur's car. No fancy restaurants, no overpriced drinks, no drunken relatives revealing their wife's kinks. To me, what I do is more fun. What we do here, three, two, one. Happy New Year. have been listening to Where Did the Road Go? This show is made possible in part from our Patreons, and we thank you and everyone listening for helping us continue this exploration of the strange. You can always find everything Where Did the Road Go related at www.wheredidtheroadgo.com. And thank you so much for your support. <laughs>